The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I thought I would talk this evening about uh, metta. Interesting correlation with the book title of the, the club. What was the name of the book again? Awakening Joy. Awakening Joy. Um, could I ask how many of you are not familiar with that term, metta? You're not familiar with it? Okay. Um, some ways we could say metta is... the extension of mindfulness, where mindfulness meets the world um, with appreciation. Um, Some positive engagement happens. And in many ways, uh, just the organic process of awareness of mindfulness. Can you hear me okay? Is it working okay? Good. It's a little hard to tell. Um, You know, mindfulness is the willingness to experience what's happening. And to be willing to experience what's happening, we have to at least quiet down what we want to have happen, what we rather what's happening than what is happening, Um, the distractions we have from what's happening, you know, all of those have to be uh, related to in a way that they keep opening to this willingness to be what's happening in this moment. And the marvelous and interesting thing is we continue that practice the engagement in the moment ripens. You know, the very effort of saying, yes, I will. Yes, I will meet this moment. Will experience this experience. It it facilitates an intimacy. It creates its own appreciation. Like this little poem. It's hard not to love the world, but possible. When I'm like this, even the swallows are not God. Even the yellow school bus, even the children inside wanting out are not God. It's by a poet named John Moore. To me, that poem uh, speaks of a sense of appreciation. Appreciating even that way in which we can hesitate to open. Even that way in which we're noticing our ambivalence about, yes, I will. It's hard not to love the world but possible. And of course we all know the reverse is much more usually the case. It's hard to love the world, but possible. 
Um, and in that appreciation, yeah, the momentary experience, a yellow school bus filled with children wanting out. It has its own excellence, its own completeness. Recently I gave a talk and I was told the first part of the talk will be to children, aged about three or four or five, you know. And I was thinking, well, what do you say to children who are three or four or five? And I thought, as little as possible, because (laughs) their life is much too rich to waste time listening to adults. Um, So I'd like to offer you what I was in. And then it turned out the children didn't come. (laughs) It was just adults. So I'll offer you what I intended to offer the children which is this. Um, Think of a time when you're happy. Not the happy of, um, okay, I got what I wanted, you know, but the happy of a sense of appreciation and enjoyment of the moment, of the situation, of the occasion. What was it like? What was the setting? Who was there? Or where was there? How did it feel? And then ask yourself, what is it to be open to that kind of experience? Not in the particular, but in the disposition. What does that experience ask of you? Okay. Um, Now let's do this. If you could just, we'll just do this in a popcorn way. If there's a word, a phrase that you could characterize your experience, your memory, or what what the experience of that kind of appreciation asks of you, a word or a phrase, and if you would just say it out loud. 
let's, let's try this. Thank you all <coughs> very much <laughs> for that spontaneous outburst. <laughs> let's try to do it one at a time so we can all hear all the, and appreciate all the wonderful answers. Please. Just go. Refreshing. Mm. I think there was two at once there. One was attention and the other one what? Attention. Still didn't hear it. Something love? Freedom to love. Freedom, thank you. Cohesiveness. Cohesiveness, thank you. Graceful. Graceful. Sharing. Ease. Ease. Letting go. Infinity. Infinity. Expansion. Expansion. Clarity. Clarity. Common. Common. Harmony. Harmony. Thank you. Engagement. Engagement. Congruent. Simple being. being. Present. Present. Intimacy. Intimacy. Wonder. Wonder. Okay. Thank you. Um, There's an early Buddhist sutra, Anapanasati. And um, it breaks into four quarters, what you might call the process of awakening using attention to breath. Um, First quarter is something like this. Connect to the body, connect to the breath. Use that connection to start bringing a sense of ease and release. From that place of ease and release, one translation says, gladden the heart. You know? This sense of nurturing well-being. And then the fourth quadrant says, um, exploring deeply and insightfully the nature of what is human existence, consciousness. You know? um, so, so, metta, we could say in its most concise form is in this territory of gladdening the heart. But we can also say in the willingness to open, in the willingness to experience. It's right there in experiencing the body, letting the breath soften and open, letting the mind soften and open. You know, that we we bring to our our seated meditation, a mind that has been usually 
we bring a mind that has been busy doing, constructing, following an agenda, creating an outcome, you know. Uh, in, in that activity, involving the concerns, the agendas, the ambitions, the likes, the dislikes, the judgments, the conclusions, you know. And, and then, can we bring it and can mindfulness bathe, bathe it in a sense of releasing, unwinding, and opening. So right there, this quality of metta. As we continue to meditate, we, we discover that we touch, we notice, we touch the experience. You know, when we grasp or when we push away, the mind doesn't soften, the mind doesn't open, the mind doesn't come into this kind of graceful, harmonious, appreciative state of being. We, we, just, we just replace one kind of agenda for another. We just uh, replace one kind of busyness for another. So right as we're in starting to engage our mindfulness, this quality of appreciation, this quality of willingness. Yeah. And then as we engage, can we start to discover the inner workings? You know, the inner workings of release. You know? Can you notice you know, in, when I was given the little instruction at the very start, I, I mentioned releasing the muscles on your face. Not to say you have to do this before the desired goal can happen. It just, it's one of the many ways we can start to attend and connect to what's going on for us. You know? There's what's going on for us mentally, there's what we think's going on for us, you know. But when we start to attend to it somatically, physiologically, we, we, we get a, a different input, we get a different sense of information about our being, you know. And we start to see where, where we're holding, you know. And then to hold that information with metta, with loving kindness. So rather than then, that becomes the new goal, overcoming that. Uh, the new enemy, you know, okay, I have to let go of the tension in my shoulders. I have to get busy and make that happen. But when we meet it with metta, um, almost in a paradoxical way, can you appreciate the being that you already are? Like the school kids on the school bus that want to get off, you know? You know, how many of us can just appreciate that restlessness 
that energetic restlessness of childhood. Just want to get out and move your body. So there's acknowledging and an appreciation. You know? And can we, as, as awareness starts to gather, can we notice, acknowledge, and experience? Experience with a sense of appreciation. You know? And and this quality really facilitates. When when a when a mind that's discontent meets experiencing, then of course it wants to change it. Of course it wants to adapt the experience to what it should be. But that discontent mind has much more inclination to carry over the karmic patterns of our usual way of dealing with what we're discontent with. Whether our way is to kind of distract, numb out, become, pay attention to what we'd rather have happen, or fantasize. And... um, once a month I come here to teach an all-day course with Gil. And last Friday we were doing it, and the topic was metta. <laughs> what a surprise, huh? Um, and so I was driving down from San Francisco, and the way the day was set up, first thing we would do, I would come and give a talk about metta. And so I thought, okay, I will... Practice metta as I drive to give a talk about metta. <laughs> that, that wonderful way our practice says, you know, well, you know, <laughs> the way you learn about this is by doing it, you know. The, um, you know, be what it is you, you want to express to others. Um, sometimes the doing creates the learning. Sometimes the learning organizes and instructs the doing. You know, they, they're in intimate relationship. So, uh, that was my plan. And I set off down the freeway. And about halfway, about a third of the way out of San Francisco, ran into very heavy traffic. And the traffic just slowed right down. And then it crawled along, you know. And, and I was watching as people would change out of the lane I was in, into the lane I was in. <laughs> I think we were all feeling like, anywhere but here has got to be better. <laughs> What's that? Kids on the bus. Kids on the bus. Wanting to get off. Or maybe as good, dutiful adults, adults wanting to get where we're supposed to get to and do what we're supposed to be doing. And then suddenly I know, and I, you know, and I started off and the traffic was flowing nicely. 
and it was a sunny morning, and my, I was engaging in this kind of practice of just open awareness, noticing and willing to experience whatever. Um, and then as the traffic slowed down and crawled, <laughs> and I was starting to think, well, am I going to get there? You know, like, in my mind was thinking, well, you know, guilt's, guilt's, guilt's a very adaptable, capable person, so <laughs> if I don't show up, he'll just carry on in his own. <laughs> but still, something, and then suddenly I caught myself and I was concocting an email to someone (laughs) with a kind of attitude, you know, it was like expressing my discontent about how the project was going. Not in a kind of like, you know, outrageous way, but more in just subtly, you know? When you're a practitioner, you know, you just can't write an email that says, I hate you and I hate the project, you know? (laughs) You have to be more skillful in your discontent. (laughs) And then I noticed, you know, and I noticed, oh, this wonderful mix, you know, how a certain dis- discontent, you know, even though my rational mind said, it's all fine, you know, if, if you get there, you know, an hour late, it'll all still be fine, but still, some kind of low-level agitation, discontent, and then it just sort of took itself and it said, well, what else in my life could I... <laughs> now that I've established a state of discontent, what else in my life could I <laughs> put it to good work with? <laughs> you know, and then that noticing, you know. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, not so much to then, you know, rebuke myself, you know, to consider that, you know, a great failing, you know, a a great lack of whatever I should have had in the moment. Um, In its own way, to hold that with appreciation too. Oh, how easily, how ready the mind moves and the heart can pull it or be pulled by it, you know? Sometimes the disposition sort of conjures up the topic. Sometimes the topic pulls forth the disposition. Um, And metta, loving kindness, it offers us um, an invitation spaciousness. Yeah. Hmm. Look at this. And in the looking and in the willingness, um, 
the Dharma appears. The insight presents itself. And I would say to you, it's not so much a judgment, something you figure out, as it is, quite literally, a moment of appreciation. Oh, look at how the mind and the heart work. Oh, look at how I'm relating to that project. And and look at how I'm relating to that person's role in this project we're collaborating with. And look at how, when it starts to come in to awareness, the quality of engagement has an opportunity to shift. So this way, you know, what I'm trying to talk about is this way in which mindfulness can invite us in. You know, it, 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 it draws us in in its willingness. It draws us in in its direct experience. You know? When the experience is just itself, not burdened by what it should be or what it should accomplish, you know, even the children on the bus, want, not wanting to go to school, have their own allure, their, their own um, spacious joy. <coughs> um, and then sometimes mindfulness, you know, often, again in the early sutras, Mindfulness will be described as the antidote to anger, the antidote to that negative aversion uh, that has been energized. Um, But here too, I would say, you know, the gentleness of, because if we find ourselves, oh, look, I'm angry. There's a strong negative mind. It's being energized, you know. Uh, okay, how do I fix it, you know? Right in that very process, th- there can be, you know, the expression of aversion, you know. I'm doing it wrong. I'm a bad person. And I need to fix myself and become a good person. You know? e- e- even there we can introduce harshness. You know? And then sometimes the whole thing will be confusing for us because it, it, it's like there, there, there's two, two streams of energy and they're pushing against each other. There's the... Whatever kind of way in which... Your aversion is expressing the energy of your life. You know, in some ways, albeit in the emotional equation of your life, your aversion makes sense. It, 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 it has a validity in expressing your life. You know, 
Um, now, in its grasping, in its narrowness, in, in its being fed by agitation, distress, um, it loses its openness, it loses a clearer perspective. But still, it has its purposefulness. The mindfulness is to invite back in the openness, the clarity. You know, in this strange way, it's inviting us to hold even our aversion tenderly. It's painful to be in the grips of aversion. It's painful, even though a moment of anger has the power of its conviction. You know, still, we're not really convinced. You know, even though we're forcefully saying, I'm right. You know, we're only saying it so forcefully because we know it's not the whole truth. <laughs> when something settled in us thinks this is appropriate, we don't have to grit our teeth and determinedly say it. It's just, hmm, this is just how it is. Um, so even you, mindfulness of, of um, metta as an antidote, still th- this quality of um, openness, gentleness, appreciation, And then the other dimension, or another dimension of mind, of metta, is um, as we engage others. You know, the very same things that are happening for us, the very same human processes, are happening for others. You know? as the people switch lanes in front of you. Um, Can it just be the collective urgency of the morning? No. This way in which um, every second is precious. Uh, this way in which anywhere but here has got to be better. under these conditions, you know. Um, the same way we address it in ourselves with a spacious uh, generosity, can we address it in others? You know? And sometimes we discover that actually Offering it to others um, is easier than offering it to ourselves. No? Like in, in, the, in, the, in the formulations of metta in the early Buddhist canon, there's one prescription that says, start with yourself and work out from there. <coughs> and then there's another prescription that says, start with someone else. Start with someone it's easy to start with. Then go to someone neutral 
and then go to yourself. <laughs> you know? and, and, and to my mind, it, it's like sometimes metaphor ourselves is a complicated affair. You know? That this strange way where it's not so easy to be nice to ourselves. So sometimes we discover um, where it is, where it does flow. No? We, we, someone else's dilemma is evident to us in bringing this kind of uh, generous openness to them, wishing it for them, is is a more available experience for us. And then the one other thing I would say about it is, you know, it has in many ways um, it's asking us to engage the alchemy of our emotions rather than our thinking mind. And I think for many of us that's a, a helpful shift. You know, there's so many ways in which we're inclined to think reality. The world is as I think it is. You know? And that even shifting to our emotional life and seeing that, that, that it has its own version of reality. It has its own... Um, purposefulness, its own construct of being. Um, And and that in itself is a helpful shift for us. Uh, In the terms of Zen, there is what you might call a slogan. It it was actually a, a term there was a famous Zen teacher of about 900 years ago. And he, he, one of his famous sayings was, every day's a good day. You know? Every day's a good day to practice. Doesn't matter whether the traffic on, on the freeway is flowing or stuck. Doesn't matter whether you're on the school bus or off the school bus doesn't matter whether um, you find things exquisitely pleasant or you're in the midst of a challenging, unpleasant experience. You know? It's still there as an opportunity to practice. Yeah. And, and there's a way in which you know, that slogan can be deeply instructive. You know? Can we come back to that? You know? the, the, this way in which um, the intention or the vow of practice, yeah? that, you know, of course all these agendas, some self-initiated, and some just part of our habitual being, you know, are bubbling up for us. 
Um, And in the midst of them, can we purposefully stimulate the agenda of practice? This is vow, the agenda of practice. Of all the words that we spoke as, you know, the expression, the accessibility of contentment or joy, you know, is there one or are there several that can touch your heart? It's that somehow the thought, the feeling that that word engenders, can it stimulate the vow of practice? And, And I would say, you know, I don't know how many words were spoken out loud, maybe 20, but to find your own expression. You know, to find the word, the phrase, the feeling that can act as a catalyst in the process of stimulating your practice. And maybe it's a very standard Buddhist term, may all beings be happy, or maybe it's very uh, unique and particular to your own expression of being. But the marker, the characteristic being, does it bring something to life? Someone sent me a bookmarker, and on the bookmarker was this little poem. And the moment I read it, it just did something to me. And this little poem for me, just on a kind of subjective, emotional level, is like a little gata, a little prayer, a little sutra. I'm not saying it should be that way for you. I'm just saying that we can find the catalyst wherever we find it, you know? You know how yogi tea has those little, uh, maybe you don't, but there's a kind of tea called yogi tea, and they, they write little slogans on the tea bag, on the string attached to the tea bag. And, you know, maybe you'll find it there. Maybe, uh, you know, who knows, you know? I was once uh, visiting someone in hospital, and as I was leaving, there was someone standing by the door saying to each person as they left, have a nice day. But the amazing, the thing that amazed me about her was she seemed to be utterly present and authentic for each time she said it. And I remember just being startled by the depth of her continuous authenticity. 
And who hasn't heard, have a nice day, a hundred times, a thousand times? So this notion of finding your own word, your own phrase, your own expression of vow. And vow, the words, the touches the heart, and the heart finds the feeling of vow, the emotion of vow. And I would say to you, this emotion of vow is very close to metta, loving-kindness. So let me end by just reading you this little poem again. It's hard not to love the world, but possible. When I'm like this, even the swallows are not God. Even the yellow school bus, even the children inside wanting out are not God. Thank you very much.